amen. Great is his faithfulness indeed. And uh, as I said when we started this morning, that's really what we hope uh, that you know is the faithfulness of God. Well, next Sunday, we will begin uh, a new teaching series called Centered as we walk through the book of Galatians and uh, we talk about the gospel, thank you, sir, and how important it is for us to remind ourselves of the need to be centered around the gospel and for us as a church to be continually centered around the gospel. So that will be what takes us through Easter and I'm very much looking forward to that. But today, we're wrapping up our uh, time Time, uh, in the text dealing with uh, the resurrection of Jesus. If you uh, have been with us, we went through the Gospel of Mark uh, over almost two years and uh, got to the end of Mark, and the last part of uh, Mark's Gospel wasn't in the original text, and so we decided to look at the other Gospels and how they deal with the resurrection text. Today, uh, we will be in Matthew chapter 28. And um, again, uh, it's the beginning of a new year, and it's really a time to reflect on our lives. If you're a part of our church, I hope uh, that you received the letter that I wrote and sent out. Um, did you read it? Okay. Some of you are like, oh, yeah, you know, it says the things about the stuff. Yeah, we read it. Um, well, as we think about, you know, kind of uh, transitions, as we think about our uh, life this upcoming year, really the question that matters more than anything and really any day, is will we orient our life around what Jesus has asked us to do? Will we trust in the nature of God and will we therefore obey what God has called us to do? Will you? Jesus has sent us into the world. The Bible tells us that God sent Jesus into the world. He was born in a manger of a virgin birth. He lived uh, in li his life growing in stature and wisdom and favor with man. He began an earthly ministry at about 30 years old. And when he began that ministry, he spent intimate time with the disciples, teaching them the ways of God, the ways of Jesus. They would become followers of Jesus. And he proclaimed the hope that was available because of the righteousness available in him. That righteousness was made available to us through the fact that he died on the cross for sins, becoming the atoning sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, the one that the prophets had told us about, the one that the law had been a shadow of, giving us a way to have access to God. And not just something that was done in a loving, meaningful, uh, sweet way, but he rose from the grave as had been prophesied. And so he demonstrated he had authority over death and all principalities. And then he ascended to the throne and he has now called us, invited us into the same purpose, into the same mission with which he walked with when he was on the earth. John chapter 21, verse excuse me, John chapter 20, verse 21 says that Jesus said to them again, so more than one time he said this, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. That Greek word peace, arene, uh, is a word that certainly Jesus used having shalom in mind, the idea of wholeness, of completeness, of, of purpose, something that mattered very much to someone in Jesus' culture and something that is probably on our minds, having purpose, having wholeness, feeling complete, feeling significant. But a lot of people can't find peace. Perhaps that's you this morning as you watch online or as you're sitting here this morning and it's part of the reason that you are here. But 
realize that just being someone who goes to church regularly doesn't necessarily mean you will have peace. And I've found a lot of people who claim to follow Jesus and who adhere to a lot of the things that they think a Christian should do that still don't have this peace, don't have this wholeness, don't have this purpose, don't have this significance. And I think part of the reason why is because we have failed to grasp the words of Jesus that are, that are really summarized here in John chapter 21, 20, verse 21, when he says, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Because if we are following Jesus, then we understand Jesus has a mission for us. The mission continues. The mission that Jesus had as he walked the earth, the reason he was sent into the world, that mission continues in the lives of the church, of brothers and sisters in Christ, sons and daughters of God. And Jesus clarifies what the mission is over several texts throughout his life and after the resurrection. And we're gonna focus in on the most popular one, Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 through 20. It says this, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We're gonna spend most of our time unpacking all of this. It begins with telling us that the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him and some doubted. They saw him as the king that he was and they displayed reverence for him. That's what that word worship really means, that they saw him as a king and so they displayed reverence for him. The text does tell us that some doubted. We see this unpacked in John and Luke's gospels and we've walked through this, uh, some of this over uh, the past few weeks. I referenced this on Christmas Eve that Jesus is there in his resurrected form about to send to heaven and they're like, eh, I don't know if he's really the king. So I would just say it's okay to have some doubts but most of them would be convinced and become worshipers. And then Jesus says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Strong's Concordance defines the word authority as power of choice, liberty, of doing one as one pleases. We saw inklings of this in his earthly life. And now the authority of God is fully restored in Jesus' resurrected state. If I were to say something here, I would say this. Jesus has all authority. That is foundational to us understanding life and our purpose. Jesus has all authority. We've titled the series From the Manger to the Throne because we need to understand the reason that Christmas matters is not just because Jesus was born in a manger, but because Jesus is on the throne. That's why the birth of Jesus matters. That's something that is incredibly significant for our lives. Jesus has authority, all authority. He has authority over the spiritual realm, over Satan and all demons, over all angels, good and evil. He has authority over the natural universe, over the stars, galaxies, planets, and meteorites, over the wind, 
rains, lightning, thunder, hurricanes, tornadoes, monsoons, typhoons, cyclones, floods, and fires. Over all plants and animals, great and small. From the smallest single cell organism to the blue whale. Jesus has authority over all biology, over atoms, electrons, protons, neutrons, undiscovered subatomic particles, genetic structures, bacteria, viruses, diseases, parasites, germs. Over every beat of the heart, every breath of the diaphragm, every electrical jump across a million synapses in our brains. Over all nations and governments and organizations. Over Congress and legislatures and presidents and kings and courts. Over all armies and weapons, over all industry and business and finance and currency, over all entertainment and amusement and leisure and media, over all education and research and science and discovery. He has authority over society, over all families and neighborhoods, and over the church, and over every soul, and every moment of every life that has ever lived or ever will be lived. There is nothing in heaven or on earth over which Jesus does not have authority. That is, he does not have the liberty and the power to do with as he pleases. Both the liberty and the power. The scope and the magnitude of the authority of Jesus is infinite because Jesus is God. He is one with God the Father. The Father has given him authority, not because the Father can give up being God, but because Jesus is God. And God never loses or gains anything, but remains infinitely full and triumphant and all-sufficient. This is our claim, Christian. Our Lord Jesus Christ has all authority in heaven and earth because our Lord Jesus is God. And this is why we call these words that we are reading this morning the Great Commission, because they come from the one with all authority. And I just don't understand why Christians act like this is so cumbersome or such a burden or an option to obey or not. The one, listen, the one with all authority by his grace has invited us into his work his mission, and his purpose. One of my favorite quotes is by David Livingston. It says this, if a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, how can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? When we talk about living on mission for Christ, when we talk about living sent, when we talk about being sent as the Father has sent Jesus We ought not to be thinking of all the things we have to give up in our life. We ought to be thinking of the incredible privilege it is that the one who has all authority would choose us to be a part of what he's doing. What an honor and privilege that is. So what does it mean then to live on mission for Christ? Well, he says it. Go therefore. He's saying, as you go, you're going to leave this mountain and you're going to go to your jobs. You are going to do things in raising your children. You are going to live in a neighborhood. You are going to have activities and interests that you do. And he says, as you go and do those things. He's not even saying you have to do something different here. He's just saying, as you go and do those things, remember that as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. This is what the Christian life is. 
Now, often we think of the Christian life as getting together in church and having these experiences that, that feel good and pick us up for just living our life disconnected from what it was we did in church. And, and, and sometimes we summarize or we evaluate our spiritual life with these different experiences that we have, these mountaintop experiences we have, and those are the things we're living for. Now, I want you to remember where we're at with Jesus and the disciples. Literally on the top of a mountain. This is the mountaintop experience. They are there with a resurrected Jesus on a mountain. And he says, don't stay on the mountain. Go. He doesn't just want us to stay in these moments of comfort and safety and feeling good. He wants us to go and live on mission for him. When we're together with believers who affirm what we think, we feel safe, we feel right, we look at all the bad people out there and we think we are better than them, or we're tempted to do that. But as Christians, we must remember to live is Christ and to die is gain. Our great gain is when we die. So God has us here in the meantime for what? To live for him. We are living for eternity as Christians. We understand that the reason we're still here is because Jesus has a purpose for us on this earth. And that purpose is the mission that Jesus was sent for. Go therefore and make disciples. Make disciples. Make followers or learners. Disciple was the language of the day. Someone who followed a rabbi and is teaching and believed that rabbi knew the way to righteousness, knew the way to life. A disciple of Jesus knows that Jesus is the way to righteousness. Not only our position with God, but then how we should live our life because of our position with God. For the Christian, righteousness in Christ is our position and our direction. When you think about that word righteousness, it's, it's the fact that we stand rightly with God, and so we will stand justified in judgment, and then we also want to live rightly with God. It's our position, and it's the direction of our life. And if God is really directing our life then make it, make it be understood to yourself that we are called to make disciples, to instruct people to follow and teach Jesus. As you go, teach people what it means to follow Jesus. The why of everything in our life is for people to know and trust Jesus. To see who he is, he's the one with all authority, who he has revealed himself to be through his scriptures, and then help them trust him. Now, it starts with us. So when I say that, the why of everything in our life is for people to know and trust Jesus, it starts with me knowing and trusting Jesus, with, with you knowing and trusting Jesus. So we, we gotta be careful that we don't disconnect our personal knowing and trusting Jesus from this then mission that God has called us on. Because that's, I think, where we really get messed up in the in evangelical world is we're trying to grow the church. We're trying to re make you know, disciples of Jesus without first being a disciple of Jesus. It starts with us, and then we help others. I would say that flowing out of our heart to our homes, to our neighborhoods, 
to our community, to the domains we're engaged in, and to our nation and to the nations. We make disciples of all nations. So it's of all tribal people, of all tongues. We wanna see the glory of God on display in every ethnic group that exists in the world. That is the heart of a Christian because that is the heart of the Father. And Jesus, when he's saying this, isn't giving new instruction to the disciples. He's commissioning them to be a part of what has always been God's plan. In God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 17, Genesis 22, we understand that God wasn't just gonna build up a nation. He was going to, through Abraham, bless all the nations. Galatians chapter three, which we'll look at soon, shows us that. The cry of the Psalms is that the glory of God would be on display amongst all the nations. And the prophets are proclaiming a day when the kingdom will be established and all nations will recognize the one true king. And the picture we have in Revelation is one of every tribe and every tongue praising God. A part of the challenge for the church is the kingdom ethic over the geographic ethic. The kingdom ethic over the cultural ethic. And we must always ask ourselves, is our primary allegiance to an earthly allegiance or heavenly kingdom? Christianity is centered around an eternal king and kingdom made up of all nations, not a temporal power with preference to one region. I'll say that again. Christianity is centered around an eternal king and kingdom made up of all nations, not a temporal power with preference to one region. So we should love our community, we should love our state, we should love our nation, we should love the people in it, but we must understand our primary identity is not as citizens of a community or citizens of a nation, it is as citizens of the kingdom of God. And our life in that community and our life in that nation is reflective of kingdom values, first and foremost. That's the picture that Jesus is giving to his disciples. Luke records that Jesus says this in the same setting in Acts chapter one, verse eight. He says, but you will receive power. He's actually correcting their desire for an earthly Jewish kingdom. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So as they're on this mountain where we believe they are, they can see Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria in the distance and, and really even out in the horizon beyond that. And Jesus is kind of giving them this, this vision moment as they look off the mountain and say, hey, you're gonna be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, but also in Samaria, which you Jews don't typically like. And, you know, even to the ends of the earth. And so there's this call, again, to build a people group centered around Christ, not defined by geography or culture. Now, here's what he says. He says, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. To baptize means to dip or to immerse. And as we see it played out in the New Testament, it was something that went along with a public profession of faith. And, and so, you know, it is this, this going into the water and coming out of the water. Now, some of you are new to Baptist church or whatever, and so you think like that's just something like that is Baptist, right? Like that, that's why we do it because that's just one of the Baptist tenets. Like there's the seven Baptist tenets. One's not saying hate each other at the liquor store. Another is dunking people, right? Like that's just a part of our Baptist culture. I'm telling you that 
It's not why we do it that way. It's not because it's been handed down from the Baptist. It's because when you look to the scripture, that's what baptism was. In Colossians chapter two, Paul explains that baptism is symbolic of a burial, a death, and burial, and a resurrection. And so when we are baptized, we are buried with Christ. Our old self is dying and we are committing to a new life raised up in Christ Jesus. But, but baptism is symbolic of what's taking place in our heart. And so we do need to understand that, that you know, it, it is really a death to self that is happening. Understand, changing someone's behavior will not change their beliefs. Changing someone's beliefs will change how they live. And that's the work of the Spirit in their heart when they are dead to themselves and raising in Christ Jesus. James says that there should be works and it's faith working through works that is taking place in the life of a believer. So we, but we wanna see these people baptized as people who are proclaiming my only hope is in Christ. And he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. So it's not just some generic arbitrary baptism, they're recognizing who God is. Listen, for some reason, this is not popular these days. I didn't grow up in church, so I don't understand you know, fully all of the deconstruction movement moment because I didn't have anything to deconstruct. But doctrine matters. Doctrine matters. God wants to be known for who he is, not some made up version. Listen, if I were to sit here and tell you all about my wife and it was all these things I liked about my wife and then you met her and that wasn't who she was, you would realize James is actually in love with some made up version of who he married, not the person he actually married. And I mean this with all love, but also with all authority because of how much God matters. If your version of God is not who he says he is, you don't love God. You love a version of God you have made up so that you could love yourself more. God doesn't say, hey, whoever, I, whoever you want me to be, he says, this is who I am. And listen, how arrogant is it that people say, God should just accept me who I, for who I am? But then the holy God with all authority who has never sinned and there's nothing wrong about him, he needs to change for us to have a relationship. Let's be clear on who we think is superior here. And I hope that settles in your heart with a heavy weight and then that heavy weight is lifted as you realize the grace of God for you even though you've been walking that way for some time. He has all authority. He is superior. That is why we are committed to teaching them to observe all that he has commanded us, as he says. You see, it doesn't stop with conversion. And I see this happen sometimes. But we need to understand this. Jesus' commission is to make disciples, not converts. Jesus' commission is to make disciples, not converts. Back to baptism. You know, I, I, and I know the Lord works, and I'm not doubting it. But when these churches do these big, you know, we're gonna baptize. Anybody who just wants to get baptized right now, come, do you wanna get baptized? Great, we're baptizing you. I just feel like in this day and age, we're, we're confusing people too much. And, and then we celebrate it and all that stuff. But people need to understand the decision they're making for Christ. Jesus says to count the cost. And then people need to, after that conversion, 
need to be discipled. They need to know the Bible. Because if not, what are we really converting them to? You see, our relationship with Jesus is both hard, it's this passion, but it's also our head. It's this knowledge of who he is. And I would just say, if you then find yourself reading the Bible and not changing, as Francis Chan says, you can be sure you're approaching the Bible in the wrong way. The Bible does not return void. The word of God does not return void. And so as people of the book, because of the one who gave us the book, it is shaping us and it is changing us. And this is the issue for us as a church. We think about lots of things, but this is the issue for us. And one of my friends, Bob Roberts Jr., puts it this way. The two questions every church needs to ask today are, how are we producing disciples? And what kind of disciples are we producing? So what are the things that we're doing to ensure that people are learning to follow and trust Jesus? And what are those disciples looking like? We need to always be measuring those things. And a lot of churches today are struggling with this. I'm not, I mean, we still are struggling with this some. And churches, as my friend Jason Duke says, don't struggle with mission because of the culture outside of the church. Churches struggle with mission because of the culture inside the church. Listen, statistically, churches are struggling across our nation to make disciples. Some are staying relevant by creating experiences and changing who God is and lowering the standards and all those things. And then yet some are holding faithfully to what they would say is the way of doing things and, and not engaging the culture. And so if you were to do a study of just how effective the church is today, it, it is very much losing its grasp. And people would point to the culture as the problem. The problem with the church remaining effective is not the culture outside of the church. It is the culture inside of the church. We need people who say, I am called with this life that I have to make disciples of Jesus Christ. As the Father has sent Jesus, he has sent me. To live is Christ. That's what I'm living for. And yet, and I love you. But so many of us, in our jobs, in our vacations, in our activities, are not realizing why God has you and me where he has us. It's to see people know and trust Jesus out of our personal overflow for knowing and trusting Jesus. As a church, we want to see God do some awesome stuff. We wanna see more and more people get baptized over the years. We wanna really think about how do we create sustainability for our future? You know, what, what do we do facilities-wise to engage our community more and to grow numerically? How can we do more community outreach and have more ministries in our community? How can we plant more churches, replant and help dying churches get healthy? How can we do a lot of amazing things globally? And, and the Lord is really doing all these things. But, but at the end of the day, our vision, our mission, Church on Bayshore's mission, is to do whatever it takes to lead people to believe in Jesus, be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, belong to God's family, become a part of the church in the New Testament where this flourishing happens as prescribed and described, 
and become who God has created them to be, teaching them to deserve all that I've commanded you, impacting the world for Christ. That's our desire. Our church is committed. How can we help people worship Jesus? How can we help people grow in community? How can we help people serve using their gifts to find the purpose of God? How can we help people be generous so they see God's faithfulness? And how can we equip people to share the gospel? And culture is probably not getting any better. And you're probably not getting any younger. And you're probably gonna continue to have challenges in life. Jesus said you will have challenges. So if you think I'm gonna live a challenge-free life, then you're calling Jesus a liar. But Jesus says, and this is often overlooked in this great commission at the end of it, he says, and behold, I am with you always. He says, I'm with you on this mission. I'm not just sending you on this mission I'm with you. Jesus not only calls us to live on mission, he also assures us that he will empower us on that mission. He says, you have fear about talking to your neighbor or your family member. You have fear about really living for me and prioritizing me, about what that means for your career plans and your financial goals. You have fear about some of the anxieties and issues you have in your life and really ever being faithfully used by God. Jesus says, I'm with you. I, you know, I, I have a lot of education on the Bible and answering questions about the Bible and, and apologetics, defending things about the Bible and other religions. And, and so, you know, I think if I walked with you and helped you have those conversations, it would probably strengthen you or help you and some of you, same for me. Jesus is with you. Jesus is with you in this. Will you just trust him and see him move? He is at work and you will see this if you join him on mission. Acts chapter 17, verse 26 and 27, Paul said this, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods in the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. The Bible says God is putting people in places so that they might see who he is. And if you will join him on mission, you will see just how true that is and how God will use you to be the one to help people see who God is. So let me just close by giving you like five just instructions on how to, how to live this. We call it live sent. Here's how to live sent. Here's how to live sent. First, love Love God and love people. Today, that might be what you need to pray. God, I'm just so aggravated with people all the time. Change my heart. Change my heart. Invest. Listen, the greatest investment you will make with your life is in people. It is going to take time and energy and maybe money and your heart will be broken but invest in people so that they might see who Jesus is. Then voice, you have to share. <laughs> you have to share. 
Some people tell me, hey, we're, we've been you know, on this sports team or we've been you know, doing this community neighborhood thing or we've been you know, part of this activity or going to the gym and we've built these relationships and it's been 10 years and you've actually never told them who Jesus is. The gospel comes from people hearing the word. That's what Romans 10 tells us. You've gotta speak into their life and help them see who Jesus is. And then equip. So if they believe in Jesus or they're seeking Jesus and they wanna know more, like don't just be like, all right, good, good luck. Moving on to the next person. Like bring them to church with you. Bring them to community group with you. Have a Bible study at a coffee shop, at your house, wherever. Like help them start to see what it means to follow Jesus. And then lastly, send. You send them too. Because they are empowered if they become a believer with the same Holy Spirit to do what God is doing you. As the Father has sent Jesus and you into the world, he sent them into the world. So love God and love people. Invest in people. Voice the truth to people. And equip them to follow Jesus. And then send them. Jesus said to them in John 20, verse 21, peace be with you. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. Missionaries are not a select group of people. It's all of us, Christ followers. Missions isn't an event or a trip. It's our life. As the Father has sent Jesus into the world, he has sent us. The mission continues for people to know and trust Jesus. I hope you know and trust Jesus. If today you're realizing God does have all authority and I haven't submitted to that authority, recognize the grace of God in your life in what Christ has done and trust in him. At the end of the service, you can talk to me. Um, I'd love to pray with you. You can even text the word believe uh, to the number that we're gonna put on the screen. And one of our pastors will follow up with you uh, this week. And we'd love to answer any questions that you have. And then Christians, if that's a profession we've made right now or that's a profession we made a long time ago, to live is Christ and to die is gain. The mission continues in us. We're about to sing a song that has a familiar tune. I think it's kind of become a tradition for us to sing this here on New Year's. It's to the tune of Auld Lang Syne. And Auld Lang Syne is really this you know, song about kind of not forgetting the past and, and carrying that on to the future. And you know that's noble. But this song is called All Glory Be to Christ. And it's really sh what should be on our mind as we enter into 2023 and any day of our life let living water satisfy, or one of the lyrics, the thirsty without price. We'll take a cup of kindness yet. All glory be to Christ. All glory be to Christ through church on Bayshore and all glory be to, to Christ through our lives. Let's pray together. Father, you have all authority the purpose of sending Jesus to this earth was very clear. To rescue us and to give us righteousness and righteousness as a position is our...
and righteousness as a direction is our joyful commitment. So God, help us to love you and love others and invest in others and to voice the truth of who you are and to equip others and to send others and to keep doing that as long as you have us on this earth. Because to live is for your glory. And as we die, we will see your glory in full. May that be so real in our hearts now. In Jesus' name, amen.